I have a uh, request I want to share with you this morning. It's a little out of the box. It's the kind of thing I don't normally do, uh, especially because it pertains to an opportunity to contribute some, some money. We don't normally ask for outside offerings for things, but I, I'm going to share this one with you today. So some of you, a few of you have been to Nicaragua with us over the years, and many of you have seen pictures and heard reports of those trips, uh, and you may or may not be aware that this past year there's been a considerable amount of unrest in the country. So because of that, and it's a long story, and I'll try to make it as, as brief as possible, but our our friend Eugenio Maltez, his, who pastors our lead church there in the country, his daughter, who is 22 years old, uh, was involved in protesting against the government and was marked by the government as a protester. And so uh, 400 and some people have been murdered this year uh, by government forces. And so he felt for on behalf of the safety of their family, for the safety of their family, they needed to leave the country. So they have done that. So Eugenio and his wife and two children are currently living with her, with a family member in, the, in Virginia. And the reason I bring that up is that they are here legally on, uh, uh, the kids are on tourist visas and Anna is on a work visa and Eugenio I think is on some kind of a visa, but they run out. And they have filed with the U.S. government for political asylum. And as it would turn out, and this was one of those God things, there is a young woman who's a worship leader in a vineyard church in Connecticut that I happen to know. What I did not know is that she works for, uh, and she works in the office of an immigration attorney. So I contacted her and asked if she would be able to take on their case, and she brought it to their firm, and they are, in fact, going to take on their, their case but they do not do pro bono work, so they have to charge for full rate. So it's $3,500 to file the political asylum paperwork for their entire family. So we have reached out to all of our partnership churches. We have 12 churches in the Nicaragua partnership, and we've asked them if anybody would want to contribute towards this. And so I just bring it to you guys. If anybody would be interested and would be willing to make a small contribution towards that fund, uh, that would be a blessing to this family, and they will be able to then legally relocate here to the States permanently. Um, Eugenio, by the way, is bivocational, so he pastors a church, but he is also uh, works in the IT industry, so he actually is a marketable person here in this country and can continue to to support his family. So if you would like to contribute to that, if, if, or if you know, come and just talk to me later. I'd be happy to, uh, to you know, talk it through with you a little bit. And even if, if you don't feel led to do that, we would greatly appreciate your prayers for them. Uh, so with that, and, and, you know, and just pray for Nicaragua too. It's a mess. We are currently on suspension, meaning that uh, we, it's been very successful, our work there over the years. We've planted almost 10, 10 churches in Nicaragua in 15 years. Um, uh, and we've done that by taking teams over regularly. We have two or three teams a year that go, and right now we can't take teams into the countries just because it's not safe to do that. So we're reevaluating how we're going to be able to continue. Um, so pray for that country as well. So with that, we are continuing in uh, the Gospel of Luke. We are in a series in Luke's Gospel that we started in the uh, early part of the fall and will probably be in, I would imagine, throughout 
the whole year, maybe, maybe more, I don't know. Uh, we are in chapter 2 currently. Um, last week we talked about Anna. Anna was a prophet who was in the temple at the time that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in to be dedicated, and they had an encounter with her. And we looked a little bit at Anna's ministry, which was a ministry really of humility and service, kind of a ministry of hiddenness. And my encouragement to us as a congregation with that was to develop, for each of us, to develop a secret history with God. And we realized that... um, We talk here a lot about the kingdom of God and serving in the kingdom, and so much of what we do is visible, as it should be. We want to be visible in the kingdom of God. We want people to see and know who God is and how he works. And so it's a blessing that we can share with people. It's a blessing that we can do what we do at the food pantry, all those kinds of things. But there's another dynamic to our relationship with God. Uh, And really, to be honest, it should precede that. In order for us to have anything to give, we need to have something to give, correct? So uh, just an encouragement to spend some time, maybe, you know, I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy, but we are at the beginning of the year, but maybe just think through, can I add something? Is there some way that I can, uh, you know, build some devotional time or some prayer time or some personal worship time into my life that is currently lacking? Um, I shared with you... (coughs) Uh, a resource last week. I'll just bring it up again. <coughs> There's an app on your phone, or you can get an app on your phone. It's probably not on your phone. Called Pray As You Go. If you just look it up, Pray As You Go. And it's really neat. It's a beautiful little daily devotional. It's about a 10 to 12 minute cycle through each day. You just listen to it. And I really enjoy it a lot. So I would just encourage you to pick that up and and you can use that as, as a, a devotional timer just sort of to to uh, augment your, your personal time. So this morning, we're actually going to finish out chapter 2, believe it or not. Um, fairly interesting little passage on a, on a couple of levels. First of all, we, we know very little about Jesus' childhood. Two of the four gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke, both give us a narrative of his birth. Uh, Mark and John both begin with Jesus as an adult, uh, with either John the Baptist or Jesus' ministry launching. The other two have the birth narrative. But this passage today is the only one, it's the only passage in Scripture that gives us anything about anything that happened in between. There's basically this 30-year gap in Jesus' life, and this is all we know about it. So uh, it's kind of uh, interesting in that regard. Second uh, sort of unique thing about it is it is the first words by Jesus recorded in Scripture. Not Probably not the first words he ever said, but the first words that we know that he said. So it's kind of cool, kind of unique in that way. So uh, our title this morning, if you want to go to that, is Growing in Wisdom and Stature. And we'll have a quick prayer and then we will uh, jump in. Father, thanks for your word. And our prayer today is that it would strengthen uh, our lives, that it would enrich our lives, that it would draw us closer to you, that your word would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might know you better, that it would cause us to come to a deeper understanding of the presence and power of God in our lives, that it would cause us, Lord God, to take hold of that for which you took hold of us, that your word would be alive and real in our lives, that it would be more than words on a page, that it would be more than... um, 
just something that we might memorize and recite, but it would be something that we uh, really take hold of and learn to live by. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead to the passage. This is uh, Luke 2, I think uh, beginning in about verse 40 or 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Uh, A little just side note here, time out. It's interesting in Scripture, New Testament or Old Testament, if you look, whenever anyone is ever going to Jerusalem, they're always going up, no matter where you're located. It's just that's the holy city, and it will always say. So I just thought that was a little bit of information you might need. Going up to Jerusalem. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Go ahead. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All right. So that's it. That's all we know about Jesus' childhood right there. Before we uh, call social services or pass judgment on Mary and Joseph for being bad parents, uh, a little context is appropriate, I suppose. So so the, the journey from Nazareth where they were to Jerusalem for pa- Passover was required so any, anybody uh, in Israel, any Jewish person, would be required to go make this trip. It's about 150 kilometers, so I don't know, what is it, 100 miles maybe or so? Um, depending on, you know, how fast you walk, anywhere from a week to two weeks sort of time frame. Uh, this passage would have been unsafe to travel alone. There were robbers and bandits and hoodlums on the road. So the way it works is that the, the village, the people of Nazareth, would have traveled in caravans together. They would have been together. It might have been as many as 100 to 200 people or more traveling along to Jerusalem to Passover together. So, so they, they, they were in a big group, first of all. Second of all, community was probably, uh, had a whole different level of reality than we have today, okay? People were more interdependent on one another. So there's different, you know, scenarios even in the Gospels, and we know historically that, for example, women would go to the well together during the day to draw water. That was part of their daily routine. And so families and friends and neighbors were just more connected than we are today, possibly. Um, Also, Jesus was 12 years old. Remember, contextually, he would be an adult at age 13. So again, sort of, you know, in our context, this would be more like a 17-year-old than a 12-year-old. And probably most of us as parents wouldn't keep as close an eye on our 17-year-old as we would our 12-year-old, although if we're smart, we will. 
Just saying. Um, on top of all that, I'm assuming Jesus was probably a pretty good kid for the most part. I just, I don't know. He didn't sin. So I guess, you know, he's pretty good. Um, was it, he wasn't out stealing hubcaps, you know. It wasn't smoking pot behind the mini-mart or whatever. I don't, I don't um, in any case, you know, they're a day out, and they realize he's not there. And, and, and you could just, you know, you kind of get that. Mary, Joseph, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was. I haven't seen him. Well, maybe he's over there with those other guys he hangs out. I don't know. And they look, and they search, and they realize he's not here. He's not here. So, oh, man, you know, and they turn around. They're a day out. They turn around and go a day back. Then they look for another day. So now it's three days, and they are beginning to get a little worried. This, now they're, this is a little bit unsettling. Jesus has been missing for three days. They find him at the temple. And interesting little scenario. He's sitting with rabbis and teachers of the law, uh, just having conversation. He's having deep theological conversation with them. He is not worried. Jesus is not frantic. He's not really even in touch with the fact that he's lost. He's just there conversing with these, with these you know, teachers of the law and these guys that are, are, uh, have, have committed and given their life over to, to studying Scripture. He's asking them questions, and, and, and he's listening, but he's also contributing to the conversation. He's giving his perspective, which... I was thinking about it. I don't know how common that would have been for a 12-year-old to be participating on that level. My guess is not very. I don't think there were very many 12-year-olds sitting in the temple debating and talking with rabbis. You know, uh, So it was a little, a little unique. Everyone, it says, who heard it was amazed. Even the teachers he's talking to, are amazed. Where, did, where did this kid come from? This guy has got it going on. He had a level of understanding that uh, was profound for his age. The word understanding there is insight. So again, I, I prayed this this morning, but it's not as though he had memorized Scripture and was just reciting it back, right? You can do that. You can, and, and anybody who's ever taken a test in high school or college knows that. You can memorize stuff and feed it back, but did you really learn it? I'm not going to ask. But the truth is that, you know, that's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't just spouting back Scripture randomly. He had a depth of insight into what it really meant. He understood the, the impact it had. I'm guessing that he drew a crowd, probably. I'm sure that people were going, hey, did you hear this kid in the temple? This is pretty amazing. You've got to come and check this out. And people were probably around listening to him. So that's happening. He's not worried or concerned. His parents are concerned. After three days, they find him at the temple. Mary is ticked off. Now, I, I think we've... Um, I was thinking about this. We've seen this scene in movies before, right? The kid gets lost. The kid takes off and goes somewhere. Parents are frantic. They find the kid. And there's that thing going on where the parent, part of them is so happy and relieved that their child is safe and they have them back. 
The other part of them is really mad because they put them through this in the first place. And that's how I picture Mary here a little bit. She's a little uptight. Um, It said, Luke says that she said, we've anxiously been looking for you. Well, uh, that's a a watered-down translation. Someone here has watered down the Scripture. Uh, That word anxiously really means exasperated. We're panicked. We were overwhelmed that you've been gone for three days. So, I mean, you know, no Amber Alert, no police, no nothing. Just Mary and Joseph frantically searching for Jesus for three days. Um, you know, it just, did he get abducted? Did he get eaten by wolves? What happened? You, you, anything could happen, right? Jesus here, and I, this is an interesting, I, I, I think this, this is a weird, interesting little passage because He's not overly sympathetic towards his parents' plight. And he, and he says to them, why were you looking? What, what, what made you look for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Technically, um, in the Greek there, it does not say the word house does not appear. That's added. He technically says, did you not know I had to be with my father? That's, that's what he says, uh, literally. So, Again, these are the first words that we have recorded from Jesus. Did you not know I had to be with my... I mean, right after, why are we looking for me? But did you not know I had to be with my father? This opens up for me. And maybe you don't think like I do, but this is the greatest theological conundrum ever. I always want to know, how did it work? What did Jesus know when? How did he know? So, so look, go, go with me for a minute on this. He's God, but he's born as a baby. Now, as a baby, he, he, he didn't know he was God, right? Because he's a baby. You don't know things when you're a baby. He had to learn to walk and talk. He had to be potty trained, all the normal baby stuff, right? So along the way... What did he know when? How did that work? That, to me, is the biggest question. So many theological questions. I can look them up. I can find some smart person who knows the answer. You can do some research. But that one, that just kills me. That's the one thing I want to know. That's what I want to know. When we get to heaven, what did you know when? How did that happen? What was the process? He's 12 years old here, and it looks as though, it appears as though he has some level of understanding that his relationship with the Father is different than other people. He says, my Father here, not the Father. Um, in any case, I don't know, that's that. But they went home, and from that point on, he was obedient to them. I love that they add that there. Um, <clears throat> Mary says here, it's, or it's, uh, Luke says that Mary pondered or treasured these things in her heart. And that is the second time we've been told that. Uh, when she discovered she was pregnant with the Son of God, she also pondered those things in her heart. Because of those two phrases, some scholars believe that Mary was, in fact, the primary source for Luke's gospel, that that Luke wrote the gospel based on conversation and interview with Mary. I don't know if that's true or not. It could be. But that's what happened. That's the story. What I want us to look at today is that last little verse, and if you can go one more, 
boom shakalaka. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So here's my premise, okay? Here, here's, this is what I'm thinking. Um, Jesus is God, right? It's not a trick question. Jesus is God, right? Thank you. Jesus is the only sinless person to ever live. And he is continuing to grow in wisdom and stature. Stature here, that word translated from Greek is not mean, uh, does not mean taller. We sometimes think of stature as height, but it really means maturity. So Jesus was continuing to grow in wisdom and maturity. So my question is this. If Jesus needed to continue to grow in wisdom and maturity, how much more do you and I? Um, See, that's the task at hand. That is what we are here for. That is the process. That's the plan that God has for us is to continue to grow in Him throughout the course of our life. It never ends. It never stops. We'll always be growing more. We'll never get there. We'll always be moving forward. But that's how it's supposed to work. We don't want to retreat, fall back. We don't want to stagnate. We want to continue to grow. Um, This life is more than waiting around. As we said a couple weeks ago, it's more than waiting around to go to heaven. That is such a tragic perspective on Christianity. Um, That is not the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Moving forward, growing in depth of wisdom and depth of maturity in relationship with him is really what we set our sights on throughout the course of our life. And I want to just look at this for a minute. Jesus is, he's in the temple talking with these learned people. These These are men who had committed their lives to the study of Scripture and to the study of knowing God and who God is. And it says that he has wisdom and insight. So again here, this isn't just memorization and recitation. What this really is, wisdom is the ability to translate Scripture into real-life, real-time application, okay? And and I want to say that for us that most of us have memorized some scripture somewhere along the line. Maybe we teach our kids to do that. And that certainly is a good thing to do. Uh, that, you know, I mean, that's very beneficial. But the ultimate goal is not simply to memorize it and be able to recite it back so you get a gold star on your chart. The ultimate goal is to be able to take that scripture and make real-life, real-time application to be able to evaluate situations in life not based on what do I do here, but based on what would God have me do here? What would, what would the, the heart of God be in this situation? It really goes back. I've never been um, one who's appreciated the whole Christian trinket industry, um, you know, the little goo but back in the day, there was the, remember the WWJD bracelet? Anybody remember that? That was actually pretty good. I mean, if you have that on and something happens, you're driving, 
dude cuts you off. You honk the horn. He gives a gesture. What would Jesus do? I'm just saying. Not that anybody here would do anything different than that. It's applying the principles into the course of our life on a regular basis. And I think growing in wisdom and maturity means coming to a point where that's the natural response. That's what we do. Jesus did not have anywhere near the education these guys had. It was not possible. He's 12 years old. They'd had years and years and years of education. So wisdom is not education. You can, and let me say this. You can learn a lot and still not be wise, right? You can be very... And I've known some very learned people who are not very wise. Um, so, so wisdom has nothing to do with intellect. It has nothing to do with knowledge. It really is the ability to, to apply Scripture and make it work in the course of life. That's what it's about. We can accumulate all kinds of knowledge and not grow in wisdom. I, I'm going to even say this. This is, this is, I say this, you know, kind of parenthetically, but we can even know the Bible and it not really benefit us. You can memorize Scripture and it won't necessarily make you a better person. We have to absorb it and integrate it into the course of our life before it really makes a difference in who we are as people. That's when it becomes real. And I would say that's biblical wisdom. That's wisdom, godly wisdom, is applying the principles that God has given us to our lives. And I would say that wisdom then is the substance of maturity. That's how we mature as we process and do that. When when we approach life... With that perspective, then everything becomes an opportunity to grow. Good experiences as well as bad experiences become an opportunity to grow. When we approach life with the perspective, how do I, what, what does God say about this situation and how, how do I move forward in, in His presence, then everything becomes an opportunity to grow, even a bad experience, even, even our so-called failures. And I would say in terms of maturity, there are no real failures. I mean, we can fail, but in terms of maturity, even a a, a so-called failure becomes an opportunity to grow when we say, how can I learn from this experience and move forward in a positive way so that this doesn't happen again? Uh, What did I learn? How do I move forward from here? Um, so, so here's, here's the, the, the end game, and, I, and I'll just I'll challenge you. I'll leave you with a little challenge today. Um, and, and again, tying into last week about developing a secret history with God, I would say invest in growth. Invest in spiritual growth in your life. Invest in opportunities to grow in relationship with God and in His presence and... Um, moving forward in applying biblical principles into your own life. If you're not where you want to be in your relationship with God, or if you're not where you think you should be in your relationship with God, then work on moving forward in it. It's as simple as that. And uh, if you guys want to come back up, I have, I'll just close with this. I have one, one final point, and that is be patient, Okay? Um, I said earlier that this is a lifelong process. And so the, the truth is, 
will never really be there. And, and that there's always going to be, and this is what I found, and this, I don't know if this is your experience or not. My found, I found in my own life, the further I go, the more I feel like I need to go further. That makes sense to anybody? The more I grow, the more I realize how much I need to grow. I think when you're down here, when you're just starting this thing, and I've met, oh, a few young Christians who think they've got it all figured out in a very short period of time. And then they uh, realize that they don't know as much as they thought they knew. I think the more you grow, the more you feel like you need to know. Uh, so, So case in point is this, and this is just to summarize this morning. Jesus is in the temple. He's sharing with these rabbis. People are amazed and astonished at his wisdom. He's 12 years old. When did he launch his ministry? When he was 30 years old. So do the math. 18 years passed between this event and when we see Jesus again. 18 years is kind of a long time where he was in the process of pursuing relationship with God, growing in wisdom and maturity until he got to a point where he even felt like it was time to move into ministry. So be patient. Go easy on yourself. Little by little. Baby steps, Bob. Baby steps. Anybody know what that's a reference to? (laughs) What about Bob? All right, go ahead.